Welcome, boils and ghouls. It's time to get weird in the valley with the Fright Stuff podcast. Join best fiends and film fanatics, Rob and Lori, as they forge a fearful discourse on what's fresh in the horror community, as well as curious, odd, and unusual local activity, paranormal and otherwise. Now, here are your ghost hosts, serving up your fix of the Fright Stuff. So, Universal Monsters. Yes. And we don't mean, like, in the broad sense of Universal, like, you know, planetary and whatnot. Talking well, some about, of them are. I'm talking about the studio. <laughs> I know, yeah. Some of them are quite stellar, but, you know. Um, so, I don't know. Where would you like to begin? This this is a pretty pretty broad um, subject, so. Well, it is. And I, so, my introduction to them was... Um, really not even the, you know, the, the OG stuff. It was really um, kind of a, a, new, a, a newer movie back in the 80s. So why don't we start from the beginning and kind of talk about how they came about and then what they've turned into. All right, cool. Um, so it turns out, um, you know, well, I guess basically we can just start off by talking about, you know, what what would be considered universal monster movie just in in general what would be Mm -hmm. considered one of the films and you know there there's a list and then there are some kind of and we can talk about this as we get into it but there are some like sub you know sub genre not sub genres but sub you know sub universal monster things that we'll plug in but um basically you know if you think of dracula frankenstein the mummy the wolfman creature from the black lagoon that's a new (laughs) word i don't know what that word is the lagoon um But those are like the main films that people think of, the kind of moody black and whites from back in the day that people watch now and they're like, that's not scary at all. But, you know, if you were alive back in the 20s, 30s and 40s, you know, that was some pretty scary shit. It was, you know, new. And um, so starting in the 1920s, we'll, we'll start there. We're just going to start at the beginning. That actually so that's interesting to me. So I was at, so I'm curious. What do you feel is the first universal horror movie? So for me, it's probably, if you go in chronological order, I think the actual first one was Dracula. Um, and, you know, I, of course, obviously we weren't alive during this time. But if you were to just, you know, think back and what was your, you know, your first one or, or the one that, that basically kind of started it all. I always think of Bella Lugosi's Dracula. So I did too. And I, so I did a little bit of research. Do you know that this, the universal uh, monsters started in 1913. 1913. I did do a little bit of um, research on some earlier films. I don't know anything that goes back that far though. What did you come up with? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was the first movie done by the independent moving pictures company, which turned into universal. Nice. And that was 1913. 22 minutes. That wasn't a talkie. That was a silent film, right? It was a silent film. The first one that was successful um, was a guy was uh, from a guy that uh, you, I know you wanted to talk about Lon Chaney. 
he did the hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. which I had absolutely no idea was a universal monster. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because you you hear all these things kind of all glommed together. And, and, and I didn't really think of that either. And to be completely honest, I didn't know that that both of those were silent films. I had no idea. You just you hear about them, but nobody talks about that. Right. Because. Yeah. And it's so weird. So. And that was in 1923. So even if you go with like Hunchback is the first, apparently, and I didn't know this, Dracula wasn't until 1931. Yeah. So they, so that's weird that they had done a couple already, but you're right. I feel like I, I'm in agreement. I feel like Dracula's where it really started. I mean, that could just be because we're so used to in modern times, we just kind of discount the, we treat the the silent films as kind of a novelty and we don't really include them in any kind of serious conversation because we know they exist, but people don't really go back. I mean, I didn't see the cabinet of Dr. Caligari until like maybe two years ago. And that's considered like canon. That's maybe, you know, in some circles, that's considered to be the very first horror film I mean, on film. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's just we, we don't really include them in modern horror talk much I mean, yeah. they, they exist and we do you know they're out there and people do talk about them but i think they get a little bit kind of swept aside but you're right i mean to go from hunchback in 1923 phantom of the opera in 1925 and then to all of a sudden jump to 1931 and have you know bella lugosi as dracula that's a, a pretty big you know a pretty big step yeah um and there was also thing called um when i thought this was kind of cool it was a movie called the i think it's called the laughing man um, yeah, the man who laughs yeah the, man who, mm-hmm. the man who laughs in 1928 um now that had conrad veit in it and he was the one that played uh the somnambulist in in the cabinet of dr caligari mm-hmm. um and that the thing i thought was interesting about that is that's considered to be kind of a precursor they were kind of just like putting the feelers out like would people be interested in seeing these kind of spookier kind of moodier films um also if you've seen a picture of him he's got this horrible horrible like just toothy grimace that just you know kind of creepy and it turns out that he was the inspiration for the joker yep i thought was so cool um and now he wasn't necessarily a monster in the film he was kind of like the victim but um, I still thought that was pretty cool because I, I did not know that I was today years old when I learned that. So, well, that's yeah. actually, so, but that's kind of interesting because really with the exception, I, I think of two universal monsters, really, aren't they all victims? I mean, really? They, they are. I mean, mostly, I mean, they all have, you know, it's, the, it's a very classic, almost like a, like a plug-in type formula, right? Like they they are they're they're they start off the only reason that they they you know break bad basically is because they've been misunderstood you know and that's what i think made it appealing to a broad audience because people were kind of in the throes of the depression and they were looking for an escape and they were you know impoverished they were hungry they you know they didn't have a whole lot going on in their lives to look forward to so they kind of really did connect with these monsters as you know kind of outcast downtrodden you know souls that are just kind of lent this kind of crappy hand in life and then you know just i guess you know 
they, they turn, you know, I mean, what else are you going to do? But, um, so yeah, I thought that was a really interesting start, which is, you know, a good place to start because that's basically how the whole universe, I cannot talk to universal. That's like, <laughs> I don't know. What the hell. These are hard words. They really are. It's not like I haven't read or said universal monster like 800 times this past week. I just, you know, but now it's universal. I don't know. That's not even a thing. I, I feel like universal would be a lot scarier. <laughs> that's more like a trauma type movie. I think. <laughs> That's, I'm so glad we're not talking about trauma. Yeah, right. That's that's not a thing. But um, so I would like to just basically give a bit of a shout out to Lon Chaney Senior. You brought him up earlier as being kind of uh, kind of you know like the the start of the the silent films. He was in both uh, Hunchback and Phantom, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically. Now, this is something I'm not quite sure I knew this either. I mean, I knew he was an actor, but he was actually a really kind of one of the first, you know, big time makeup artists. Um, He was born to deaf parents and he learned to communicate with his hands and his face a lot because, you know, obviously they can't hear. So he emoted a lot and made a lot of facial gestures and used his hands a lot. And if you watch some of these earlier films, you see that, you know, that's kind of how, how he learned to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, in his teens, he discovered theater and kind of fell in love with it. He was working as a prop boy at a local opera house and kind of just watched all the magic happen. And, you know, that was back when you only had theater. You weren't going to go to, you know, the movies yet because they hadn't really started. I mean, it, it, he was a teen. Mm-hmm. Um he kind of, he fell in love with a singer and um, had a son, obviously Lon Chaney Jr. We all know about him, yep. um, you know, because of the, the time that they were married and everything. And, and they were a young couple. They had some, you know, kind of fits and starts and a little bit of a rocky, rocky start to their marriage. And it turns out later on she attempted suicide by drinking poison and you know i mentioned she was a singer well this whatever it was it didn't i don't know exactly what it was she consumed but it basically just you know tore her throat up just to kind of ruin oh my god i know isn't this terrible kind of ruined her career she was done um she did survive the suicide attempt but unfortunately their marriage didn't um so Lon Chaney Sr. was kind of forced. I mean, this was back in the day where I guess the theater goers were a little, little, you know, a little more well off and whatever. And it was kind of um, he was kind of shunned, I guess. And, and it kind of just ruined his career and he had to leave the actual theater. Um, he then kind of found a little niche in the very, very young motion picture industry, right? Mm-hmm. So that was just starting out. And they saw that, and he did too, he saw the appeal of like being able to do the makeup effects that he was doing and things like that. Um, he was, I guess he's, he, nobody really, I mean, there are all kinds of numbers out there as to how many roles he actually played. 150 plus seems to be safe. Like some people say definitely 157, but I'm going to say 150 plus roles. Um, And it's kind of funny because he had some serious acting chops, but he didn't really like to take the 
leading man roles. He wanted to play the characters because that's where all of the interesting makeup and effects and things like that were. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, another thing that I thought was very interesting that I did not know, he died very young. Yeah, 1930, right? Or something like that? I He was 47 years old. I don't know what year he actually passed away, but he died very young. Um, he, you know, and I, I wish I knew I, I didn't, I didn't quite, you know, see why he passed so young, but he did. Um, you know, and he, he left his mark as a great actor and he was very well, uh, well renowned for that. And people really enjoyed him. And one of the things that he was kind of famous for is that he was very generous with other actors. Like he, he helped Bella Lugosi a lot, which you would think that, you know, there might be a little bit of a you know, kind of little, little, not sibling rivalry, but a little bit of rivalry there. But no, he was very, you know, because Bella Lagosa's first language was not English. So, (laughs) you know, he helped him out and kind of got him on his, on his feet. Um, Another thing that I, another little bit of trivia I came across that I thought was really cool was that um, in the 1929 Encyclopedia Britannica, the Mm -hmm. entry for makeup was written by Lon Chaney Sr., which I thought was really cool. So he was really kind of a big deal, and that's kind of how he, you know, was remembered very fondly, apparently, from other actors and actresses, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. I was, uh, I had done a, because when you mentioned him, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this, I had done some research on him too, and he, I mean, he he, he died really, uh, is, is really sad. Yeah. So he gets pneumonia, then he finds out after getting pneumonia, he's actually got lung cancer. Oh no! They, they aggressively try to treat it. He starts deteriorating and died of a throat hemorrhage. Oh my lord, that sounds horrible. <laughs> it sounds awful. Oh, and so he, so you you mentioned a throat hemorrhage. You can only imagine how painful that must be. Yeah, I mean he he died seven weeks after his one and only talkie. He he was only in one movie that that had a like a, a soundtrack a speaking card mm-hmm. and that's got to be something just horrible to have to deal with yeah i Please. i can't even imagine and it's so weird that so he and, and i and it seems almost like a kind of a really good transition he dies in 1930 okay and 1931 is when dracula comes out so it's almost like the second generation takes over if that if that makes sense. Because yes. you're right. Then it was Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff mm-hmm. all throughout the 30s. It and was. 40s, really. Yep. And and basically to take up the helm of makeup artists, you'll see the name Jack Pierce come up again and again in these movies. And I don't really know if he learned from Karloff, but he basically kind of was the next big thing in the makeup world, which, I mean, you know, I mean, Dracula basically just was Bella Lugosi. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of makeup involved with that, but you know, as you get into the Wolfman and Frankenstein and things like that, then, you know, a lot more, a lot more happens. The invisible man, that one's interesting because that was just Claude Rains, you know, relying on his voice. There was no makeup needed because he was invisible. (laughs) That I, I love the invisible man though. And I'll, I hopefully get a chance to talk about him a little bit later. Um, But I, I loved that that was all special effects. They had to find ways to make somebody look like they were there 
without actually being there. Right. And it would and be- I it's so cool. When you it's, look at it for the time, they did a great job. I mean, they really did. Like know. moving of the books and the pipe and the sunglasses. I mean, it was it was awesome that I mean, yeah, they they had to figure out all these things. It, without that kind of movie, I mean, special effects just would not have been what they were. Right. I mean, it's just it was awesome. Right. I completely agree. So, um, so when we talk about Boris Karloff and Bella Lugosi, which one do you think kind of gave more to the genre or are they on even keels? Cause I know they, they had a big rivalry going on. I know that they did. And that, that's where the, uh, the fun part comes in with the rivalry with those two. Um, I kind of have a soft spot for Bella Lugosi because I'm such a huge fan of um, Tim Burton's Ed Wood movie. It's just Martin Landau was so pitiful and so good in that role that I I just kind of have a soft spot for Bella in general. Um, But I do agree with you. I think that they both kind of, I mean, they were so interchangeable. A lot of times a part would be written for one of them and end up being given to the other. I mean, it just was crazy. And no wonder they, they fought all the time. I mean, can you imagine? You yeah. Know, if you think you're going to get this big part, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, no, you're going to play like, you know, the little measly lab assistant. We're going to give this guy the big part. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it had to have been kind of rare, you know. <laughs> so I had heard that uh, Boris Karloff and Bella Lugosi just, really had it in for each other. And for the life of me, I can never understand why when you did research, was it because they were like taking each other's roles or something? Because in like in 35 and really through 39, they were starring in movies together. They were. And I honestly, I do think it had a lot to do with like, I, I and if I mess this up, I, I do apologize, but I won't name specific roles because I there was a lot of interchangeable stuff and I don't want to mess it up. But it's my understanding that Bella Lugosi would feel like he was a big enough star that um, he should have this lead role in one of these films. Right. Whatever one we're, we're talking about. And mm-hmm. he would be in talks with the studio and they would agree and they would be like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You got this. And then they would change it up and be like, no, you know, again, I, I the one that I'm. And again, if, if I'm if I'm messing this up, I do apologize. But I think that there were a couple times where one or the other would be relegated to like a lesser part in favor of the other. Um, I want to say I know that Bela Lugosi in one of the films, one of the Frankenstein films, he played Igor or whatever he was called. He might not have been called Igor, but the Igor kind of character, the lab assistant. And mm-hmm. I think that you know, he wanted to play, I think he wanted to play Frankenstein's monster. I think he, he thought that he had the chops to do that. Um, I don't know. It, it just seems like there was a whole lot of back and forth and they were both fairly big stars. So I think the studio probably did that schmoozy thing. And, you know, I mean, you can imagine that would, that would cause a lot of, of issue. Yeah. And uh, so I think the movie you're talking about, I think it's Son of Frankenstein there were, is the one that they were together. There were so many of them. I don't know. It, yeah, no, started, they really were. <laughs> I started writing them down. Then I was like, you know what? No, there's too many. Just too many. Too much. But there were like but all kinds I, of is... mashups and there were, yeah, they're all over the place. 
it's amazing to me that would, I mean, that's really like Boris Karloff saying, I'm going to be Dracula in the next movie. And that doesn't make any sense because that was, you know, Boris Karloff was Frankenstein. He had the look they knew. I mean, audience came to audiences came to expect that you think Bella Lugosi would be like, Hey, let's, you know, uh, that's cool. Cause you play, you're might be playing second banana, but people are going to see both of them. I mean, it right. wasn't really until Lon Chaney Jr. came around that there was really a third person in the horror business at that point. And that wasn't until the forties. Right. Yeah. That was like 1941. I think with Wolfman was his first role, I believe. And, uh, does that sound I right? Believe, uh, Believe it or not, no. And I'm, I'm, because I'm, I'm looking at it too. I'm cheating. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at notes. Oh no! Um, apparently, so he, the Wolfman was in 1941, but he had also done another movie, and I don't know which one came out at the at the same time. They came out of the same year. Man Made Monster. Oh, I don't know. So that. I don't know which one came out, but apparently Bella Lugosi was in the Wolfman, and I don't remember that. Huh. They, I mean, again, they were so interchangeable. It was like, it was that weird time where Hollywood just glommed on to these, like, whoever was making the most money at the time. Mm. And I hate to keep bringing up this film, but Ed Wood did a great job of this. Like, it just was so... <laughs> he did. Like, incestuous, really right? Like, it was just this weird, like, like, of all the actors and actresses in Hollywood, they would just pick, like, two or three... And just shuffle them around because they were like the money making golden goose, you know, type situation at the time. Um, so I'm that, you know, that had to have been hard on the psyche of these, you know, fragile actors and actresses because, you know, they all want to be, you know, top dog, but you can't, you know, got to share the spotlight sometimes. But yeah, yeah, I, they I, didn't they didn't want to do that, I guess. No, they and... were very, very catty and very just, you know. Rainer calls out just history. I, I also get it. I mean, it's also during the Depression. So, I mean, it's it's amazing that these movies were successful in the 30s and really in the early 40s when the Depression was still going on. Because not a lot of people had money, but they were willing to spend what they had to go see these movies in the theaters. Yeah, I mean, apparent, so, apparently these films are what what you know carried Universal throughout through the Depression. I mean, they're they're I mean, they had to drastically reduce the prices of the tickets. But it was still, like you said, people were still willing to scrape together their pennies, save them up and go see these films. But it was probably like their only escape. So that makes sense. Yeah. So and I can kind of get it. You're I mean, it's also it's almost like hero syndrome because you're you're the person that's giving people hope and happiness, even though it's horror movies during a terrible time. So you want to be that that big banana. So I guess I can get why they're fighting over roles. It's not just they're they're you know they're trying to get money too because everyone was dealing with the depression but they're also you know two of the biggest names everywhere and they're just fighting and then you introduce the son of the man who started it all and he just starts getting role after role after role and was the first person to really take over frankenstein from boris karloff in the 40s right right which is weird because Boris Karloff was still around. Yeah, it's so, they just... it's so crazy. Like, like again, I keep just thinking of the word incestuous. It was like they just pulled from these, like, three characters, and one of them happened to be born of royalty, you know? And it just was so bizarre. It was just a real weird time. And can you imagine, like, being in a film? And they used to do this, too. 
Lon Chaney Jr., you know, Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr., the exact same name except for the junior. A lot of times these studios for Lon Chaney Jr.'s parts would just drop the junior because, you know, Lon mm-hmm. Chaney was such a big draw, which I think is totally unfair to Lon Chaney Jr. But um, I mean, and I guess everybody at the time knew that Senior had passed away. I don't know why they thought that would make such a big difference. I'm, I'm not sure, but <laughs> I'm actually looking at a poster from the House of Frankenstein with Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney. <laughs> I'm not even seeing the junior. Yeah. I'm looking at exactly what you're talking it's about. It's so crazy, but they did that on purpose. And I just think that's, you know, they, they'd done them dirty, man. That's just not right. You can't do that. But you know what? He was, he was making a ton of movies and he really was kind of following in his dad's footsteps, which I guess for him was probably, I mean, it, it had to have felt good. Yeah. I mean, you're because he's he's one of the he's the big one of the big three. I mean, most people remember Lon Chaney, but I don't think they really remember Lon Chaney Senior as much as they do Junior. Everybody remembers the Wolfman, right? Everybody remembers him, right? Yeah, he he really he took that torch and he ran with it. I mean, he did he did his dad proud, you know. Hmm. So we're. We're basically at the end of the 40s at this point. Mm-hmm. Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff have kind of traded off. Apparently, Bella Lugosi won in the uh, in the 40s because Boris Karloff did not have a lot of credits to his name. Right. Um, there were a lot of Bella Lugosi, but Lon Chaney took over for really both of them. And then we get when the, to the point where, and did you read this, where Universal decided to end it? In the er, in the late forties and early fifties. Um, I mean, I know that things got a little silly in the fifties because they brought in like classic vaudevillian comedy stars, and they started just kind of. I don't know if that was an effort to lighten things up. Is that what you mean, or kind of? So they basically decide in nineteen forty eight, we're done with the monsters. We're not doing it anymore. So let's go to comedy, just like you said. And let's get these two guys that everybody loves, Abbott and Costello, right. to meet the monsters and make them funny. Yep. Let's make them silly. And we're done. And they go, okay, cool. And they do Abbott and Costello <laughs> meet Frankenstein, meet the killer, Boris Karloff, meet the Invisible Man. And then they meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, cool. We're done. We're done. And then do you know the movie that brought it back just a year later when they thought they were over and they were done with horror what movie was it um so what year are we talking here we're talking 1954 and i'll give you a hint it's one of your friend's favorite oh, creatures yeah so largely considered to be the air quotes last universal monster would be the creature from the black lagoon yep 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 um, so they do that and it becomes super successful I, and they're like, oh no, we're not done. <laughs> and I mean, I think as far as charisma points goes, I'm going to have to agree with, with our friend Faye on this one. Creature from the Black Lagoon is, you know, to me, probably one of the coolest. Like, I like the others and, and you know, they, they have their place, but just as far as the look of the character, the the leading lady, the fact that it takes place in like this really kind of exotic place and the fact that the creatures like, you know, 
he kind of hides in the depths and you know and you know he's there but he only comes out every once in a while just to terrorize you then he goes away but he's not gonna let you catch him i that character to me is just so iconic um yeah but yeah i i agree i do um I do think that it's hilarious that they were like trying so desperately to be like, nah, you know what? We're good. We're done. And then all of a sudden the Gill man just brings it and they're like, shit. <laughs> I, I, I love it too, because the, the thing about the Gill man, he's one of two of the classic universal. I mean, if you're talking about the big five, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, mummy, and Gillman, he's one of the only two that are actually monsters. Like Dracula was a, was a bad person before he became a vampire he was even worse when he became a vampire. The mummy's just a curse. You know, it tells people don't open up the coffin. Don't open if you up do, that's what's going to happen. Sarcophagi? I don't know. Yeah, right. Sarcophagi. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, the Wolfman's just a poor guy who's, you know, got lycanthropy. He's not trying to change. He feels bad. And Frankenstein's not a bad guy at all. No. He's just misunderstood monster. But the Gill Man, you're right. He stalks people. Mm-hmm. He's, he is one of the two that's just really evil and i like i like the look of the creature too i i really do um of all of them i feel like he's got the best look and maybe it's just because he's an entire suit but the face itself is just creepy it's It's just so creepy and in all honesty the scenes that they filmed underwater are absolutely breathtaking they're beautiful Mm -hmm. one of the I don't think it was the first movie I had seen in 3D at a theater, but one of the most memorable 3D experiences I had is when uh, Psycho Cinema showed The Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. And it was a phenomenal experience because it was such a cool looking movie. And those, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't mind swimming, but I don't like swimming in bodies of water that I can't see what the hell's underneath. Like I'm good in the ocean up to about my knees and that's about it. I'm a, yeah, I'm a firm I'm... believer that Jaws is going to get me if I go in any further, you know, I, I just, I'm not going to do it. But just seeing those scenes where he comes up from and it's the whole screen is underwater, the whole screen. And you see the girl swimming and he comes yeah. up and he barely barely just almost brushes her leg and i just get the chills every time it's like no i i agree and i I love the fact that universal just ruined water for everybody so they and they do they do lagoons like you're not going into random bodies of water yeah and they're like you know what we're gonna screw it with the ocean too and they release jaws in 1975 Uh yeah so really they don't want people swimming uh just stay out of the water they're like just don't do it people it's not gonna be good for you it's not gonna end well at all yeah and i i just love that they get basically another six years out of monster movies they're like cool let's we'll we'll bring back the mummy finally so abbott and costello meet the mummy and then they do like mole people and monolith monsters but at 1960 they're kind of done they end really with psycho like that's their their last big one the birds was big too uh, I'm not going to say that, that's but moving they were pretty like, much done with monster that's movies. That's moving away from monster movies, though, and moving into, like, psychological thrillers, I think, because Hitchcock was, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you got to figure, too, right about the beginning of the 60s is when the the Hammer horror films started kind of yep. making their way overseas, right? And they were a lot more kind of gory and shocking and a little more 
kind of visceral and just kind of in your face. Mm-hmm. They were very, very different from the Universal Monster films, but I guess they kind of filled that little that little, you know, missing bit for people who were starting to see that, you know, Universal classic monsters were kind of coming to an end. But things were yep. progressing just as far as, you know, the nation was was moving on and the 60s were very different from the 30s, 40s and 50s. So that kind of makes sense. I've never been a big fan of the Hammer films, though. But I don't know. I've seen one. <laughs> and it's the one that like, you had suggested. And I, I saw it and I was like, this is okay. But yeah, I'm not... I, 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 I love the way it looked, but I didn't dig the actual movie itself. I didn't think it was that great. Yeah, I was like, okay. They kind of have but, this weird... Uh, there's just something that doesn't sit right with me about like a 70s gothic kind of setting it just it's weird like i don't know maybe like all of the polyester clothing in a gothic setting kind of ruins it for me i don't know (laughs) it's just real i don't feel like they 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 also didn't really seem to set the the um the the scenery and the stage like the corman films and the hammer films were very brightly colored um i I never really, I always felt the art design was exactly the same in every one of those movies. I could never tell you which one was different. Yeah. And a lot of that was because they also shared sets. Yeah, they, they kind of I feel bleed like... into each other and it's very hard to make a distinction. Now, if you love one, you're going to love them all. But right. know, it's hard to kind of pick and choose with that. But I, so for me, and I think one of the other reasons why I didn't watch it, because I mean, I, I, obviously I was, and we've talked about, it, I was born in 84 so effectively, it was 90s monsters that I was really into, except for one movie that came out in 87 that, for me, introduced me to all of the Universal Monsters, which was the Monster yes. Squad. Yes, I think we should talk about this now, because I'm not going to lie. I only saw this movie for the first time within the past, I'm going to say maybe, definitely the past maybe six or seven years it's been. I, I was a latecomer to that film it so for me i mean it was it, it there was goonies which was great and then there was the monster squad which was a way edgier goonies it wasn't just the fact that they had monsters but there was cussing in that movie and they talked about hitting the wolf man in the nards <laughs> which was a great yeah. line um but they had that and for me it's the only time when they brought all of the monsters together that even though it's a kids film they weren't trying to be silly with it they 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 really weren't like you know tom noonan's frankenstein is incredibly sad and you cry when he goes away dracula's actually trying to kill these kids um the wolfman you know in his human form isn't but when he's actually the wolfman is trying to and the gill man is just trying to kill everybody because he's an actual monster because he's a gill man exactly yeah yeah um but but I, I love that movie and they do they did it so serious. So when I watched that movie, you know, even though it had been out for a few years, I watched it as a kid and I loved it. And then I started noticing that there were all these other movies that were referencing Universal Monsters. Um, like in 1990, and this is a movie that I did see as a six-year-old, and I don't know why my mom let me see it. <laughs> I watched Darkman. So Darkman's basically a love story to Lon Chaney. 
He is literally a man with a thousand faces, which was Lon Chaney's nickname. And it was very much just, all right, let's let's reference a classic universal monster, the Phantom of the Opera, but we're going to make him a superhero. Is that, I think I know this movie, but is this the one where... Uh... So I'll give you a, a quick okay. rundown. It is Liam Neeson as a doctor who has created... Um, skin basically for people with like like burn scars and things like that. The idea is that if they have skin that's scarred, he can actually give them a prosthetic that looks like real skin. And of course, because it's a anti-hero superhero movie, he gets horribly burned and attacked and his face is all screwed up. So he makes these masks to look like other people. Um, and it's it's very much Lon Chaney because he's he becomes an anti-hero. He goes after the bad guys that did this to him um, because he um, had done something to himself. He lost all like his nerve endings. So he didn't feel pain. That also made him super strong. It's it's a crazy movie. It's it great. sounds amazing. It's That's not awesome. what I was thinking of at all. Um, the movie I'm thinking of, I think, was way earlier than that, but it, it was about a character who does a lot of um, makeup, and he did do, like, I don't know if he did Frankenstein, but I know he did dress up as Dracula, and it was a weird film. I'll have to look that up later on and let you know what it is, but this one sounds great, and go, go oh, Liam Neeson in, in a horror it. role. I like that. Yeah, it's it, it was good. So then you had, like, these movies that started going, okay, let's you know, let's remake the monster movies. And you had probably two of the best vampire movies of all time, but I'll just stick with the one that's on Dracula. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, done by Francis Ford Coppola, is probably one of the best vampire movies ever made. I agree. And it's... Wholeheartedly. And it's... And they reference a lot of lines from the original 1931 movie. Um, and it looks completely different, but it's... It, that one's also a love letter to universal monsters. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt there. Right. They decided to do that. So they do it right with Dracula. Um, they try to do it with Frankenstein. Um, you know, they do Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with um, Kenneth Branagh and uh, God, why am I blanking? Robert De Niro yeah, as the monster. That one was And weird. it was terrible. It was so weird. <laughs> like it just. It was. And. They, they just went too far off the rails. Like you can't, don't reinvent the wheel, right? Just, I don't know, maybe give it a spinner or something. I don't know, but just, oh right. boy, was that weird. They, it was a weird one. And the, and the sad part was it wasn't even because of the actors, because the look of the monster I thought was great. I, and I thought that Robert De Niro actually did a good job as that tortured kind of creature. Um, but, you know, you had Helen and Bonham Carter in it, too. Um, it, it just, but yeah, it just went off the rails. And that was trying to be serious, though. And then they're like, all right, let's take the the one who's the not scariest of them all, the mummy, and let's just go, you know what? Screw it. We're not going to do a scary movie. Let's do an adventure film. And what I think is the best remake of them is Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. I of all the Universal monster films, I just think it's the best movie that came there's out. There's so much, I, there's so much love for this film, but it's crazy. I didn't realize because I'd seen it, and I was never. I don't dislike Brendan Fraser, but he never really did anything for me. I just always, I always found him so 
almost like two normal dudes that it just he never registered like do you know what I mean he, he just sure I didn't like him but I didn't hate him um and those movies are are super fun but apparently there's a very large contingent of people that just lose their mind over the mummy movies which I think is cool I like that um I I, I am one of those oh. people <laughs> so so it's 1999. I'm, you know, just starting out high school and I watched this movie that I thought was going to be a horror movie. I mean, it's The Mummy. I assumed I was going in for this horror movie and it turns it turns out to be Indiana Jones versus The Mummy and it's it is everything I loved about it. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is great." And 2 years later, they come out with a sequel that has the worst CGI in yep. history. It's it was great. <laughs> the poor Rock, I feel so bad for him because he's such a great star now. But one of his breakout films is the worst CGI monster in movie history. But, you know, he probably doesn't even care. I mean, that man has gone on to have such a ridiculously successful career for someone who started out as a wrestler, a professional wrestler, which, I mean, I know that's not Mm -hmm. the first time that's happened. John Cena's in a bunch of stuff, but um i think that that's actually pretty cool that he and he seems like such a a fun dude like i'm sure he's like super proud of that cheese ball movie that he you know i, I maybe he should be up. it's still a great movie <laughs> i i don't know why they haven't gone back and be like are oh, you know what we're going to we're just going to touch up the cgi we're so good at it now and we can just repaint yeah, but let's just touch i, I it feel up. like that's so cheaty like i feel like that should never be allowed it happens all the time you know i don't get me started about the whole star wars debacle i don't want to i don't want to talk about it but (laughs) and shot first Ah. um so so they're getting it right and so early 2000 they're getting it right they have remade dracula it's awesome i know where you're going with this they they do the monster squad it's you know great they do darkman they do all these homages and they're like all right let's do another bring them all together for a movie that had one thing good about it, but everything else sucked, which was Van Helsing. Oh, see, I didn't know that's where you're going with this. Okay, I I, I skipped ahead of it. So I, before, I would love to know where you thought I was going. Oh, I I thought you're going straight to Wolfman. Okay. No, so so we'll we'll stop there. <laughs> um, but I got to stop in 2004 because that was when they brought all the monsters back, except for the Gillman. The Gillman's not in it. I I don't know, what, and the Mummy. The Mummy's not really in it either. Um, but they're like, all right, let's, let's bring all these monsters back. And that movie's terrible. You know, it's so bad. I don't think I've ever seen it the whole way through because I think it's one of those films and I do this a lot. If I put something in, you know, or on the TV or I say in, because I still watch DVDs cause I'm, you know, ancient, but, so right. do I. um, <laughs> But I think it's one of those that I started maybe 12 times, right? Just put it on. And then I end up walking away because I'm like, what? this is nonsensical. And I walk away and then I assume I'll come back to it. And I just don't. So I don't, I've never seen it other than clips and things recently, but. It had one thing going for it. And I will say this of all movies that came out and we did skip over things like American Werewolf in London and all this other stuff. I mean, there's so many other movies that kind of try to remake stuff, but the transition of the Wolfman in Van Helsing is still the best transition of a Wolfman huh. ever. So it's they've they've never done that. Okay, well maybe I can look this up because I'm a fan of um, American Werewolf in London's transition. That's my favorite. 
Oh yeah. And you know, that was great. I mean, you know, they had like the, the fake, you know, the fake guy and they had the hydraulic press that was like pushing the wolf features in. And it just, that looks amazing. I actually have a painting of just that one scene of him oh, transitioning. Nice. But the reason why I love this one, even though it's a little CGI, it's still great. So the idea is the guy starts freaking out and you see him just like in terrible pain and he grabs his skin and he rips it off. This is a PG-13 movie and they show him ripping his skin off and underneath is the wolf. Oh, that's interesting. So he just sheds his skin. Basically, but he's actually like ripping it off with his bare hands. And it's gross. And it's and they do it quick. I mean, you're talking maybe 20 seconds, but he's just ripping off. And you see all this, you know, blood and fur start appearing. And it's it's perfect. And it's so good. And when I saw that in the theater, I'm like, oh my God, this this movie's great. This movie's awesome. And then they just go downhill. <laughs> and then it shits the bed. Um it really does. And the sad part, it doesn't even make sense why, because it had Kate Beckinsale. She's an underworld, which is a pretty decent werewolf, you know, uh, vampire right. movie. It had Hugh Jackman. He's Wolverine. I mean, it should have been great, but it just, it, it just, just does terrible. Flat. And then it keeps going that way with the Wolfman, which is what you mentioned. Yeah, I still, I can't was... forgive his haircut. I can't, uh, Benicio Del Toro's haircut. I can't do it, man. I just so I watched that movie with uh, at the time a friend of mine. We were so excited to go watch it, and right before I went to go watch it, a, another a friend of mine said, "Oh, go enjoy watching Mumbles on screen." I mean, what are you talking about? He goes, "There's no way you understand anything Benicio del Toro says," <laughs> and we're like, "No, that's not true. That's not true." And we start watching, and we start laughing because man, sometimes. He really does garble his words. He's, he's so the, we're laughing. He's the grandfather of Mumblecore. <laughs> he really is. So we start laughing through the movie. People are in a horror movie and they're supposed to be like scared and excited. And there's just two guys cackling incessantly anytime the main character speaks. Because we're just waiting to listen for it. And you have Anthony Hopkins in an over-the-top role. Why he chose that. Why, why Hannibal Lecter decided to ham up the Wolfman, I he have no probably idea. probably needed, and God knows. I mean, I think sometimes he did things just for fun because he's way too good of an actor, but it was just not, and I was so excited. I saw it in the theater, which, you know, for me, this was like before mm-hmm. I knew about the Alamo and stuff like that. So I, you know, that was a big deal. I was just like, yeah, man, I have to see this. It looks amazing. No, no, it wasn't. I don't even really, I've never rewatched it. I saw it one time in the theater and I was like, yeah, I'm good. Don't need to, nope, not going to revisit that. Because no, but man, I just remember being so angry because Benicio Del Toro has never been like a, a big draw for me like I know some 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 of the lady folk think he's quite handsome and I just don't get it but he especially was not with that stupid ass haircut that he had in that movie and I just I couldn't <laughs> I mean it took a lot for me to get past that and then the whole rest of the film was just, and I'm like you know how how do you mess up the story <laughs> it's such a straightforward story I don't know they they did and they even the, the best part was like so they do the Wolfman and they're like, all right, we're, we're doing the Wolfman. We're going to reference the original movie. But you know what? Let's do a scene very similar to American Werewolf in London. So we're going to have him break out and terrorize people in the city. 
And it's like, come on, you can't reference two different Wolfman movies. They're completely different. Like what? No, don't do that. <laughs> so I, 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 I didn't like it. And you're right. I just like you, I've only seen it once. It was in the theater and I refused to watch yep. it ever it again. It just wasn't worth it, man. It's not worth that. You know, we're never going to get those two hours back ever. You know, no. I mean, people say that all the no. time, but it's true. And that's very sad because it's, you know, these characters are so iconic. It wouldn't take all that much to make sure that if you're going to do a remake, you, you do it right. I, I don't know. I just get yep. real, I get real butthurt over this. I do. I'm like, I, I, I do <laughs> like, too. Ow, how do you mess it up? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So, so now we're in 2010 and really there's, there's not much really that they do well at all they they you know they're like oh we're gonna remake the creature from the mm-hmm. black lagoon and then they never right. they're okay yeah we're not we're not really gonna do that um they they say oh we're gonna remake the invisible man and then they don't do it uh they don't they don't really do anything and universal basically just not gives up but says you know what this marvel thing's really doing well so why don't we make a dark universe and bring all the monsters together? And they start it with Dracula with, I think Luke, is it Luke Evans? Is that know. his name? Where we, uh... And Charles dance. So they do a Dracula origin movie. Um, and I'll, oh, I'll, I'll look what? it up here. I, I so, was watching some clips of this and I, it didn't do anything for me. And I, I wasn't aware of its existence even. It just looked real. Uh, it looked real origin-y. That's, that's the only word I can put on it. So yeah, I'm not, you're going to have to it, carry this one because I have no idea. So it was, uh, I will tell you the exact time. Oh, it's called Dracula yes. Untold. So it's really... Dracula Origins. It's just like Wolverine Origins. Everyone's expecting it to be awesome, and it's just a bunch of CGI. Terrible. It's it's just not good. And was I correct about the guy? Yes, okay. Luke Evans. So he's actually not bad in it, and Charles Dance wasn't bad in it, but the movie just had so much CGI. It was just kind of okay. And then they're like, you know what? So they make that movie, and then they want to do this whole dark universe thing so they do some reshoots to show him in modern times with charles dance going oh now it begins so they're really telling audiences hey we're gonna have all these monsters back and they hire all these people to be the new creatures they hire tom cruise to be in the mummy they hire um oh god um not benicio del toro um I, i always get these two confused um, an, another, um, famous Hispanic actor, um, he was in, uh, Skyfall. God, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, um, was it the, was it the uh, dude he, that was in No Country for Old Men? Yes, yeah. yes, I, yes. I mixed them up too and I can't think of his name. <laughs> I can see his face. Javier Bardem. Yes. There okay. we go. So he's going to be Frankenstein. And they hire, like, they get all these people to kind of start, you know, doing these movies. So they're like, all right, we started with Dracula Untold. Let's do The Mummy next. We're going to reboot The Mummy franchise and put them in part of the Dark Universe. So they hire Russell Crowe to be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the movie. 
and they bring Tom Cruise. And have you seen no, this movie? I was going to ask you if you had. Yes. All right. I will give you a quick rundown and I'm spoiling it for people who haven't seen it. And trust me, you don't want to. The idea is this. They find a sarcophagus that has a female mummy in it. Um, so she's a like a, a princess or whatever that's trying to bring the god set back to life. So she basically starts killing people. Uh, she attaches herself to Tom Cruise. She's going to use him to be sacrificed and become the, the god set or whatever. And then you find out that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, played by um, Russell Crowe, owns this uh, agency that destroys monsters. So they tackle her and they, they confine her and then they're going to kill Tom Cruise because if they kill him, then she can't bring the God back and everything. So they've introduced Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and basically how it ends is Tom Cruise is now the mummy. That That's how oh, this movie ends. What? <laughs> and it's so dumb. were they setting it's this up really... for a bunch of sequels? Is that what you're saying? Then like maybe they were hoping that if it did well that Russell Crowe yes. could have his own Jekyll and Hyde film? Is that what they were kind of doing? Okay. Kind of. So Doctor, if you've seen any of the Marvel movies, basically Dr. Jekyll is now okay. Nick Fury of the of oh, the shoot. dark universe. Okay. He's basically the the anti-hero good guy that's trying to control and destroy all these monsters even the the new godzilla um franchise has monarch which is the exact same thing this big secretive conspiracy who knows about all these monsters and wants to get rid of them so yeah they were gonna have russell crowe as dr jekyll and mr hyde and maybe he would get his own movie maybe he wouldn't but he was gonna be in it then you had tom cruise and then the mummy bombs. The mummy doesn't just bomb. The the mummy bombs Terrific. hard. And it bombs so hard that they go, we're not doing the dark uh, universe anymore. <laughs> we're done. That was a dumb idea. And we're, we're done. We're not doing it anymore. And all of these movies that they had lined up all get canceled. They It, it sucks. Except uh -oh. for one. And this one turns out to be probably just just one of the best. Are movies we jumping into Blumhouse territory? We okay. are, I believe. Let me see if this was actually yes. This was a Blumhouse movie released yep. last year. Have you seen it? The Invisible, The Invisible I Man. Yes, want I have. To so badly, I really, really do, and I haven't. I think you would have. I love um, Elizabeth. Uh, what is her last name? Moss. I wanted Moss. to say Banks, but I was like, that's not right. Elizabeth Moss. And I, from everything that I've heard, even though this was um, kind of presented as a low, I mean, because Blumhouse's thing is he will give you the money, but he's only going to give you X amount and you need to make the movie for that. And it's usually pretty low budget. So what they did with this film for such a small budget was apparently super impressive. And I like the little plot twist that I've heard about it. Um, and I'm, I am very excited to see it, but I just haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. But I'm very hopeful that people will kind of see this film and see the success of it and realize that you don't have to, you know, do the crazy wonky CGI thing. You can just, you know, you can use your storytelling skills you know and so yep. so it's at the start 
of the COVID pandemic is when it gets released, February 27, 2020, right before we go into lockdown. Zero, man, three, right? weeks, three weeks later, it goes to digital um, because, I mean, they, the, all the theaters shut down. I got a chance to see it theatrically. Now, for, for you specifically, and uh, I, I, I think you'll have a much different reaction uh, than I did um, because it's all about an incredibly mm-hmm. abusive relationship. And I, I, for, I think for guys, very much like Promising Young Woman, guys have a different reaction to this film than women do. My, my wife had a, a, a very, uh, it, was, it felt very real to her. Not that she's been in right. a relationship like that, but you, you could feel like you could. It's all about gaslighting and just, uh, just flat out abuse. And it's the best depiction of the Invisible Man. It makes Kevin Bacon's Hollow Man look like a movie that never should have been created. <laughs> Who also had an Elizabeth in it, Elizabeth Shue. Um, but it, the movie is great. And honestly, up until that point, I hadn't liked anything Elizabeth really? Moss did. I did not. I did not like oh, Mad Men. How could you not like uh, Mad I Men? tried oh watching gosh. it. I didn't like it. Um, the Handmaid's Tale is an incredibly well acted show. It's, it's very too brutal. dark for me. It makes yeah, me too sad. Brutal. It was so yeah. good. And honestly, I haven't finished it yet for that exact reason. I, in the middle of it, I stopped to read the book and I read the book and then I was like, dang, I don't know if I can go back now. <laughs> Cause it's. Yeah. I, I, I can't watch it. My wife's watched like Ugh. every season. She, she, oh, I say loves right. it, but I mean, she, she loves what it is, but she doesn't love the content. It was too hard for me. So I didn't really like it. And then I saw her in this movie and I'm like, wow, she's a really great she's amazing did, did, you like, not, really did you not did you not like her in um us i i didn't like oh, really? us okay that's interesting <laughs> so, so it was okay there was too many plot so funnily enough and we're talking about monsters and stuff and really us kind of fits in i mean that's definitely references a lot of you know uh universal stuff um i didn't like us because the plot holes seemed okay. way too big and I couldn't could get drive past a Mack them. Truck through. I Yeah, I I couldn't understand how they're eating raw rabbit. How are they not getting sick and dying? <laughs> um wow. some control people up up at the top, other people at top can control them, but it's not the same. So that didn't make any sense. Um and it, it just and the I saw the twist coming like 15 miles away. So I mean, I'm just was- like it, it was, was no okay. Get Out, but it was. It good. wasn't Get Out. Yeah, get Out it was, was amazing. No get Out, but it, I, I enjoyed it. Um. So other than that, yeah, I, I mean, she was okay, and she was okay in it, but I didn't think she was great. She really gets a chance to shine in this one. Um. Just, just she's just so amazing, and the movie itself. I mean, I, I think I've watched it like three times oh, since wow. then. Um. And it's it's great. It's I I don't just love the. The look, I say the look of the Invisible Man. I know that sounds weird, but what they do with it um, is is awesome. The fight scenes and stuff like that are so brutal um, and uh, they seem real. I mean, I, I know they're not, but they seem real. They just, it just They just do a great job with that movie. If they had started out with that, I think the Dark Universe actually might have had a chance because this was supposed to be a part of it. And they just... They just huh. didn't. Um, but I, I, I do suggest oh, you see I, that I movie. Can't wait. So now we're 
so so now we're here. I mean, we're it's 2021, and I have no idea if they're going to like. Are they going to redo Frankenstein eventually, or are they just done? I I have no idea. Um, because this movie was also an incredible success. Seven million dollar budget, just like you mentioned. Blumhouse doesn't give you a lot of money, but it made 143 right, in in this start of a pandemic, which is amazing and great. So I don't know what they're going to do for you. Have you seen okay. The Shape of Water yet? Okay. No. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, but that's and that's referencing right now. The, the reason Gilman. that I asked is because I, I I thought that I know we had talked about it, and I if you haven't, that's cool. Yes. But I was wondering if even with if you just know a little bit about it, because I haven't made up my mind yet. I've seen it. And I, I think it's more to me an homage to the creature from the Black Lagoon than a reimagining or a, you know, remake kind of a deal. And I, I, I need you to at some point in your life see it and let me know what you think about that because it's, I think it fits in with this conversation. It at least has to be mentioned because I think that. Um, Oh, why can't I remember his name? He has an amazing home, and he made. Who was the director of that? Uh, that was Guillermo. Yes, del I wanted Toro. to say Benicio, but that is was not right. Um, <laughs> a different, a different del Toro. Del Toro. So he had wanted to remake Creature from the Black Lagoon for a very long time, but just nobody could pull it together. So I think that this was his kind of answer to that i think he reimagined it and i don't think he had to get any kind of special permission or anything to make this film which i think was you know the reason he did it but um Mm -hmm. it it does kind of tick off a lot of the boxes but it is also very different um so i i'm interested that when you do finally get a chance to sit down and watch it if you would feel like it would fit into this conversation as a kind of you know in the same not to use a pun, not not even a pun, but the same universe. That's not a pun, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, I know. I always so when I've seen it, I'm just like, okay. It's also it also seems to me that it could be a reference to all right. This is how Abe. Uh, Sapien well, he, he honestly looks way more like Abe Sapien than he does the original Gilman. I will give you that. It's it, to me, it was. I was just like, dude, yeah. that's that's Abe right there. But <laughs> yeah. And it makes sense. So here's something interesting. You mentioned that you thought you were going to say Elizabeth Banks right. for The Invisible Man. And I know, I think I know why. So she was supposed to be the invisible woman in the original oh, Dark Universe. That. that she was going to, she was told basically you're going to be in this. And she's like, cool, I'll be the invisible woman. Um, so that was, she was going to be that, you know, that character. Um, I I still like, I really feel like the invisible man is just really deep down my favorite. Cause there's been so many good movies that have done that. Like memoirs of an invisible man is such a great movie. Um, have you ever seen yeah. that one? The Chevy chase one. So that's, that's a great one. And that's got, it's got Sam Neill as Ooh. a bad guy. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was directed by John Carpenter. No. It, is it more of a serious role for Chevy Chase or? It's, uh, let me see. Yeah, it was directed by John Carpenter. And serious, yes, it's still Chevy Chase. Um, and I would never, he, he's not like, 
Jim Carrey where he can be right. super, super serious. Um, so, but it's not funny. It's, um, it's just it's, him being, it, it's, being it's him straight. Chevy Chase, basically. Yeah. So if, if, as I'm looking it up on Wikipedia now, they say it's a sci-fi huh. black comedy. When, I, when they say that, I would, I would definitely say very more, more black than comedy, but it's a great one. But it's completely different. It's uh, it's it's straight, but it's still lighthearted. The Invisible Man of twenty twenty, not no, lighthearted at yeah. all. That's a brutal, brutal thing. But the Memoirs of Invisible Man does something great. When he drinks, you can see the food. <laughs> so he's like, wait, like so he's drinking, and you see it going down his esophagus into his stomach. So he talks about like it's really gross to eat because I can see myself oh. digest. But wouldn't you be able to see, yeah, like, it's able really to see gross. the poop and everything? Yes. I would, that would be so disgusting. Yes, he no. would be able to see that. Um, but they also, they go into like, what would be the problems? Because he talks about he can't get any sleep because he can see through oh, his shit, eyelids. That sucks, right? Um, yeah, but he talks about like, they really go into what are the problems of being an invisible man and they, they go into it a little bit. And you've got Sam Neill is this basically this um, FBI, CIA kind of guy. Um, and he's basically trying to kidnap Nick to turn him into a, an assassin, which also makes sense because you have a guy who right. can't be what seen. What else is he going to do, I right? Mean, that's great. Right. So, you know, Nick, the the main character, is obviously trying to get away from him. He's, he's just a – he's a guy, ironically – who was kind of invisible anyway. He didn't really make a lot of impact. People didn't really care about him. So he's kind of noticing that he didn't really feel seen until he became invisible, which is a line in the film. It's, it's, it's a good one, Um, but it's lighthearted. It's not, it's, it's an interesting way to go. Um, But yeah, I I just, I feel like the invisible man is just probably one of my favorite uh, Universal Monsters, but it's funny because you don't really see him, and I'm not trying to be a pun, you don't really see him as right. the big five, which is weird to me, because I feel like he's an important part of it, but I guess, I, I don't know, why do you think that is? Why do you think he's not one of the big five? Probably for the, so there's got to be a pretty large portion of the movie going public that just likes the kind of in your face kind of not as subtle you know like the wolf man when he changes you know what's going to go you know what happens and you know what's going on the invisible man you have to kind of use your imagination a little bit more because he's freaking invisible i don't know if it maybe has something to do with that if it's that basic or Mm -hmm. you know I like what you described happened in the new film. I think that that's, I mean, we didn't even go into it a lot, but I know enough about the new one that I know they changed it up a bit and made it more about domestic abuse, which, you know, certainly could be a thing, right? Because he's, he's invisible. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe just the unseen that, that kind of sets people off and, and, you know, not, not, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like the lack of imagination or or what, but it does seem like they've done a, a good job with 
there's not, I don't want to call them sequels, but the uh, kind of the reimaginings of the invisible man, that one seems to be the one that, that, that mm-hmm. does kind of hold a little bit more, you know, interest and, and people can, it, it's, you know, they've made more of them and they're more successful. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a good question. I, I would just, I guess it, my, my gut instinct tells me it's just because of the very, very obvious fact that he can't be seen. I know. It seems really yeah. like a, no, I, I think that's, like a that's kind of a cop out answer, but you know, that's, that's my gut instinct. I don't know. So if you could add any of the other monsters after the big five, that you feel should be on the Mount Rushmore of monsters, what would you, you mean? Add? A universal or just in general? Uh, a universal or in general. Mm. I mean, I, I think that's fair. There, you know, Universal hasn't cornered the market on every monster movie so, ever made. I don't, that's a, that, that is a good question and I was not prepared. Um, no, Sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, <laughs> think about through, like, what are my favorite monsters i um i don't know i have you ever seen super eight that's a good monster i i really enjoyed that film but that monster you don't see that monster a whole lot but maybe that's more alien i don't know where you want to put that one but um i don't know because i feel like we've we're so like these universal monsters are kind of just jammed down your throat everybody knows frankenstein everybody knows dracula um, I mean, who yeah. would you, who would you put in there? So I would take okay. down the mummy because <laughs> <laughs> I still don't like any of those. I out with the mummy and I would put the oh. thing. I, I really would. Or if I wasn't going to put the thing, I'd put a Romero oh, zombie. That's a good one. I feel like, I, I feel like either one of those even though the things only had two movies but the Gilman's only I, had two I movies. feel like a uh, zombie makes sense I feel like that makes really good sense because it, it does it has the same feel um, it feels like it could be in the same universe I, I think that's a good choice yeah and, and it's especially like nowadays I mean when you really Ooh. look at it werewolf movies are still being made yes oh, I did you thought what of something what do you think of? so <laughs> that was another one that yeah I only effectively two movies. I mean, there's only two fly movies, but the design of that was really good. But there's also another universal monster that's had a ton of movies. And I, I think if it was done now, would probably be on there. And you might not even think of him as a monster, but Jurassic Park's oh, T-Rex. Yeah. That's a universal franchise. It's a monster movie. There's what, going to be six of them? Well, Yeah. There's going to be a sixth one coming out. I I don't know how you ignore that. Or Jaws. Yeah, that's a good one too. But I don't know if they're monsters because they're animals. I guess I guess that's that's why not. I don't know. I. It seems like Universal's kind of really gone away from things, but maybe. Uh, Maybe they'll come back. You know, it'll be interesting to see where they I mean, go from it's here. It's just like everything else. There will be a time that it'll come back around because that's just kind of what happens. I mean, we're we're in it now where, you know, people are remaking things left and right and Black Christmas and all the other things that have come out in the past 
two, three years. It's just like remake a palooza, you know? And I'm sure COVID true. will now change things even more. So who knows what we're in for? I mean, the big sweeping, like, you know, summer blockbuster type movies. I mean, we might not get those for a while. We might be in for some more subtle stuff because they're going to have to rethink the way they make these movies. Um, so who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So um, that's really it for the OG monsters. But uh, we do have some other exciting stuff coming up. Uh, you have an interview series yeah, starting soon, Yeah, I kind of thought right? it would be fun to focus on local artists who are into kind of the same things that, that we are. And fortunately for people who don't know Winchester, Virginia, it is a super cool little town. Not only does it have like an unusually high rate of people who like weird shit that we like, um, but we also have a ridiculous amount of artistic talent in this town. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you you yourself are are part of this family, but um, we have like, <laughs> oh, yeah. so are you. We just have a, an unusual amount of <laughs> of talent, and I thought that it would be fun to every once in a while maybe do an interview with some of these folks and. The person that I chose to do the first interview is a friend of the podcast, Shara Valentine. Um, she's ridiculously talented, and I wanted to have her on and maybe just discuss, you know, how she learned her art. Um, and, and you know, just, just the project that she's working on, I think, is really phenomenal, and I can't wait for everybody to see it. I'm going to see if she'll share some pictures with us, you know, on our on our page and whatnot. Because I think it's something that is really special, and I can't wait to talk to her about it. That's that's going to be awesome. So that's coming up soon. Now we can also talk about, I think, at the release of this podcast, you and I should have already attended Grindsploitation. Yes, that's next weekend. <laughs> yes. That is next weekend. Um, so it's... Uh, it's it's unfair to say, yeah, hey, you all we should can, go watch this. Forget that one. I, um, I, you're right. That that one will have passed, and so we will. But I am hoping that we'll have some reactions to the films, and uh, I mean, there are probably going to be breaks and stuff, so maybe we'll be able to, you know, record our reactions oh, and great. maybe include That's that. A idea. Yeah, um, yeah, that'd be fun. And I think we're um, a friend of ours, Ariel, is going to be there too, so maybe we'll be able to. Oh yeah. See what she thinks of the movies. That'll be that'll be great. And I'm hoping maybe we can talk to some of the people. I'm sure some of the people who, uh, you know, hopefully are coming up from Nashville. Will is it Chattanooga or Nashville? I always mess Mm -hmm. that up. Chattanooga. Okay. I I believe it's Chattanooga, but I I guarantee there's going to be people from Nashville. Maybe we can chat with them too (laughs) because I think it's I think it's quite special, and 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 I'm pretty proud of our Winchester Alamo for you know bringing this to us here now because I know that they don't not every you know theater has opened back up and we've been open the entire time so i think that that's really cool that they were able to find us and bring this bring this to winchester i think that's awesome yeah and the only thing that i'm worried about is if we really really like it i know we have to go to chattanooga next year that's (laughs) That's such a long drive hopefully fingers crossed you know maybe they'll come back who knows yeah we'll see um 
so when is uh, uh, you mm-hmm. you've mentioned um, Apple Blossom? When's so Apple, Apple Blossom? Blossom this and what year, are they doing? I believe is the ninety fourth annual Apple Blossom Festival. Big deal here in Winchester. This used to be a huge apple production area. Like we still have um, the White House. Uh, what is that called? Like the big the big plant, I guess. Yeah, the White House. Oh, yeah, the White House apple uh, factory. All kinds of goodies. Um, so basically, that is running. It, it usually runs over the first full weekend of May. So I think this year it's April twenty third through May second. Um, oh wow! So that's it's a week long. Oh, I didn't yeah. even realize it was it's a week long thing. thing. There are every you know every year the big draw is the parade. Now, sadly, because of COVID, they have decided to not um, put on the parade this year, you know, so that I guess in just an effort to now, now the crazy thing is they're not doing the parade, but they're still having the midway. They'll, they'll be the carnival midway. I don't, I, I, you know what? I, I feel like that's more dangerous, it, but I'm not going to go. I don't ever go. So, cause I don't, you know, carnies scare me truthfully, but. I've seen freaks too many times. I'm not going to go to a carnival, but. <laughs> well, I know what our next right? uh, series Ugh. is going to be on then. Um, I'm sorry. I almost had an Austin Powers moment. There where I was like, <laughs> small hands smell like <laughs> You know, that's my quote for the night. Um, <laughs> but they will be doing all of the normal things that Apple Blossom does. Every day there's something new. They have like some tennis tournaments. They have the stag luncheon. They have the ladies' tea. So they're still doing all of the fun things that they do for Apple Blossom. They're just not doing the parade. Um, so if you're into that kind of thing, there will be a Midway Carnival and all that good stuff. You know, something to check out for sure. Cool. And then I guess the only other thing other than that are just some of the Psycho Cinema movies coming up. And then I think you and I are both planning mm-hmm. on attending uh, Joe Bob's Drive-In Jamboree in July. That's that's kind of far out, but yeah, we've, we've that is keeping, it is far out, yes, um, far out for man. multiple reasons. We've been keeping we've been keeping tabs on that because the tickets aren't on sale yet, and it's making me super twitchy. Like I really need that to happen, so I'm not so like, you know, when is it going to happen? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, and the the sad part is. I, I, or, I ordered that little Darcy figure. That's not coming out until fall or winter. I know, right? So I won't That's be able to get Darcy to sign. Yeah, but you have really other sad. things you can have for some. Um, and I think that, yeah, that, that'll be pretty awesome. I do. I do. Um, no, I'm, I'm excited about the Excuse me. I am definitely excited about that. Um, just got to figure out. I mean, yeah, when tickets go on sale... Um, so hopefully by the time this podcast releases, tickets will be on sale. Um, that, that'll that be super fun. But yeah, I'm also looking forward to yes. the Kill Bill double feature. Uh, I think it's May 7th or May 8th. It's it's a Friday. Um, oh, I'm taking nice. uh, my daughter to that one. She's going yeah. she's, she's gonna to love it. Uh, and the fact that she can see and both back, films back, like, like at the same time. Seen, but um, obviously they couldn't for length reasons. But yeah, that would be... Yeah, they're also, and I mean, it's not really a scary movie, but they're also two completely different films. They have different tones, and it'll be interesting, because I I think Violet's going to really love all the action and kung fu stuff for the first one, 
And then she might be a little disappointed when there's really none of <laughs> so that. The, the crazy second. thing is, it's no secret that I am like the world's largest Quentin Tarantino fan. I know he's kind of a jerk, but um, I love his writing and his films. And uh, to be perfectly honest, and I never count Hateful Eight because I thought that was a dumpster trash fire and I, I didn't like that film at all. I hated You Hateful didn't Eight. like Hateful so Eight? And so disappointed. But... I don't count that. But oh, wow. Kill Bill is my next least favorite Quentin Tarantino film series. I just, I've, it's never really, I love the, the iconography of it. Like I enjoy that, but the films themselves, I can watch them and I have many times, but they don't, they're my least favorite. Um, yes, but I'm doing this huh. feature because you know, when will I have another chance to see a Kill Bill double feature? I don't know. So I'm going to do it. But yeah, and I'm hoping, I don't know that I've ever seen it on the big screen. So I'm hoping maybe that always makes it a little more special for me. So I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. Do, do you no, want to know the one I'm most really excited about? So I would love I to. have never seen it. And I'll tell you why, because I've been waiting for Psycho Cinema to show it. I have never seen Night of the Creeps. I, Me I neither. Love Tom I have Atkins not seen that so either. much because he's such a weird choice. He's he's just this paunchy dad looking dude that gets all kinds of tail, and I love him. Like he just he gets more women in these films. You know, like Jamie Cur- Jamie Lee Curtis in, in The Fog. I mean, come on. She gets into his truck, and basically, next thing you know, they're in bed. I'm like, come on, dude. I mean. Even yeah. after she she's says like, she's not that kind of girl. Like, yeah, and she's like, awesome. We're in bed. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's just, he's such an unlikely I, I... leading man, but he embraces his moment in the spotlight like nobody's business, and I adore him for it. So I've wanted to see this movie for years, mm-hmm. but I've been waiting. Like I even sometimes I'll, I'll catch it on, you know, different streaming services. And I'm like, no, you must wait. So I'm super excited for that. And it is our prom night. And that's yes. the prom and night Johanna, one, my friend right? Johanna and I, we, we were prom dates for like the last few prom. Yeah, I know. So she's my prom date again. Aww. And we're going to just you know do it up and I'm, i haven't i haven't procured a dress yet but i'm very excited so yeah yeah i don't know i don't think i have can, a suit I mean, that fits do, like i've done kind <laughs> of like dead zombie prom last year i did um i was a pregnant prom queen that was fun yep i wore one of my husband's helmets nice. under my dress and it looked like a big old belly <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it, just, it was nice. It was like a little turtle shell under there, but it was cool. Um, so this year I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do, but I'm very excited because it is, it's just a good time. Yeah. No, that'll be awesome. Uh, yeah. And I, I was actually looking forward to that one too. Uh, May's going to be pretty fun yeah. uh, with uh, psycho cinema stuff, but I am hoping that other stuff is going to slowly start opening up. So that we can, you know, do other stuff like the Mahonics coming up in July, but um, another than yep. Joe Bob every oh, yeah. Friday, which has been pretty good. Have no, you been watching the new Creep show? I haven't. That's come. Um, that's coming out. I don't know why. I I don't feel a big like. 
I mean, I, I will eventually probably watch it, but um, I tried the animated one and then it didn't do it for me. I don't know why I couldn't get into that, but I couldn't. Um, yeah, the the animated one, the animated special was yeah, uh, I, I didn't really like, um, but the the actual show okay. that they've done, it's great. It's very Tales from the Crypty. Um, they've already got one season out, and it's it's pretty cool because it's it's. Uh, each episode is oh, two stories, like the old so show it's then. like it's, it's pretty good. Okay, neat. Or not to show the, mm-hmm. the original films or whatever had a few, but yeah, yeah. The original films had like multiple, and they get at least in the in the um, actual. How am I trying to say the live action version? They get the music and lighting and acting right. They they really oh, cool. do. Very similar to the original movie. Yeah, so they they and they they do it, and uh, even the first episode no had Adrian I like Barbaro. This, I like a nice um, homage, like when, yeah. when something knows what it is and and gives like an honor to the original. I think that that's really cool. I love that. Yeah, um, it's just a shame that there's so many of the actors that were in the original know, that just I know aren't with us anymore. But uh, yeah, no, that's I know that's, right? a, that's well, a wonderful a bright, thing to end on. Note. Let's end on something super sad. <laughs> but no, Shutter's Shutter's done really well. Um, I mean, the Joe Bob stuff every Friday is great. Although the movie choices this past week, honestly, I'm going to be perfectly blunt and honest with you. Both of those movies sucked, but I have to say, to me, <laughs> it was. The most Joe Bob choice that he could have possibly chosen. I loved that they were so bad, but they went back to me. See, I'm I'm a little older than you, and I watched Joe Bob back in the day in the '90s, um, and kind of grew up mm-hmm. with that. I graduated high school in 1990, so I discovered Joe Bob pretty early on, and and was a fan. And I liked all of the weird shit that he would show because for a while there he was showing stuff like back to the future and whatnot which is fine but i caught him right around the time when he was doing like night of the lepus and shit like that so to have him play these Mm -hmm. two i hadn't seen mother's day um it, it was terrible but i did watch it and it was it was horrible whatever it was just it's really it was just bad. So not good. But I loved that they felt very kind of grimy and like the kind of I don't like when he shows something that's either already been on Shutter or that Shutter wants to promote. That to me is like that's not Joe Bob. That's like promote. that's like we're throwing some money at you, so you have to do this, and you can tell it there it doesn't have the same kind of grit and kind of you know what I'm saying it doesn't have the same kind of seedy feel to it I like that I like that he took this and and I have to tell you sure I was not a fan of Eli Roth even having watched the history of horror and, and the show that he did on AMC and whatnot never really really cared for him he seemed like this mm-hmm. kind of he like he was trying to be some big shot like know-it-all I turned a corner with him when when he was on the the first show of season three of the new Joe Bob the last drive-in I turned a corner with him he was yeah. so fun and so smart and just so in love with this genre that I just was like all right dude you got me 
I'm done. I I think he's definitely a guy who's just I hate to say it. I think he, he just he is, is a know it all pre- when it comes to horror, and that's okay too. Because Joe Bob is like, to me, it was I could feel the love before it. Did, in the other show, for whatever reason, it just seemed like look at all the stuff I know. I'm so smart. I, I listen to this and listen to that. This was like pure love. Like this, the way that he, when he would in the middle of a story, he would just laugh because of the memory of it. I just was it endeared me to him, and that that was literally the first time that happened because I don't love his movies at all. Um, I I can honestly say I I don't either. I will say House with a Clock on Its Walls is a great kids movie. Um, I think just like Robert Rodriguez. He might be better as a really? kids, um, as a kids director than not, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, I mean Robert Rodriguez did the Those spy kids movies and Shark Boy and Lava Girl, yeah. and they're yeah, they're great. And I mean, yeah, Robert Rodriguez also did uh, Desperado, which is you know a, a cool franchise, but that he ends it with oh, Once Upon God, a Time right? in Mexico, so which is probably one of the Desperado worst. Desperado was made. one that was my jam back in the day when that movie first came out. I was going to marry um, Antonio Banderas. I was he was I was in love with that man, and at the same time, simultaneously, I was in love with Salma Hayek because how can you not be? You're not a human being if you do not love that woman because she is gorgeous. Yeah. But um, that was such a good film, and I had already I had seen El Mariachi like first, um, so I was pretty excited for that. But I'm sorry I got off mm-hmm. on a tangent there, but you know, it, it was my Antonio Banderas. No, know, that's okay. He he can have his own show because yeah. he has done so many movies that I would love to talk about. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think that's pretty much all that's going on in Winchester. And uh, I, think so I think that's a I good think that's place to wrap up the show. Good, what do you think? And I'm very excited that we had a much livelier conversation. I agree that the conversation was pretty lively. So Lori and I will uh, go ahead and sign off here, but tune in next time where she and I both talk zombies. Well, that's it for our show. Tune in next time. So until then, it's time to say good die for now. Follow us at all the ats, Facebook at the Fright Stuff Pod, Instagram at the Fright Stuff Podcast, or Twitter at the Fright Stuff Podcast. We even have an email address, thefrightstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Sharing is scaring. Tell us what you're watching, what you want to hear, your scary stories, whatever curls your toes. Who knows? Maybe your comments will end up on a future show. Until next time, stay weird, Winchester.